0: peace 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 on this soulful saturday may 20th 2023 soulful saturday this morning i woke up and i said my prayer i give praise to my own head my own connection to the most high before i get started with the day and um Today's read is going to be about something I learned today, something new I learned about American history that involves uh, African people, Black people. There's a lot of history that I don't know. If you notice, my um, podcasts generally have to do with history, and generally, I enjoy learning things that I didn't know before, discovering it, sharing it here. And some of it is really difficult, a difficult share. And today's share is difficult for my soul, but it's in remembrance of the souls who went through it. So yes, I'm going to share it because a lot of history gets denied. And especially when it comes to what America and Europe And um, other whites around the world have done to black people is for example the word concentration camp what comes to mind when you hear that concentration camp for me growing up in America it meant I immediately thought about what Europeans did to other Europeans what nazi germans did to jewish germans and concentration camp is the only association i had that's the only association i had when it came to concentration camps learning about um, getting educated by the american education system but as an adult i've learned about other concentration camps uh before today I knew about the Japanese concentration camps and how they were kept in them um, and eventually released, and they actually received reparations for the wrong that was done to them by American society. But this concentration camp I'm about to read about is um is out of Mississippi. It occurred after enslavement, official enslavement was, um, was stopped in this country. Um, but enslavement by other names still occurred, still occur. And it, it's a shocking story. But, you know... I believe there's a new, a brand new movie coming out about what the Nazis did to the Jewish people, the European Germans did to European Jews, awful atrocities that they inflicted on each other. Um, we hear about it in endless ways, endless books, endless movies. Um, because it's something that should be remembered so that it does not get repeated. And in that same vein, I tell the stories of Black people who had atrocities visited upon them, except there are not. We don't hear about that. The only thing we hear about is enslavement and the struggle for civil rights, and then we had segregation, and then we had Barack Obama. You know? And, um... The American history story gets clipped and <laughs> we only hear certain portions. So, today, like I said, I'm going to share a story that I just learned about this morning. Um, and it was on the O'Donife History page. That's an Instagram page where information is shared by an actual history teacher. She's a black woman, she's based out of the UK. And she's very brilliant and very informed about, yeah, things that many of us don't even know about. So even though she's in the UK, I'm here in America learning about this concentration camp that was created just for black bodies in America. Here we go. The name of this tune is Mississippi Goddamn. And I mean every word of it. That is the voice of Miss Nina Simone. I believe that song is, well, it has to be out of, I don't know, 40s, 50s, 60s. But the song was made way after the story I'm about to share occurred and Mississippi was still acting up, still doing what it does. History um, repeats itself if it is forgotten. So that's why it's important to tell all the stories so that we can repeat what is beneficial to life and we can not repeat what is hateful, what is evil, what is detrimental to life, all life. So today's read is about the devil's punch bowl. Again, I am reading this from a posting on Odun Ife History, that's on Instagram. The um, the teacher who shares this kind of information also has a website, dot. Odunifehistory.com O-D-U-N-I-F-E-H-I-S-T-O-R-Y .com And it's about the Devil's Punchbowl, an American concentration camp in Mississippi that to this day holds a mass grave where up to 20,000 black bodies are buried the Devil's punchball. Mm. An American concentration camp for freed Black people. Free. In Mississippi, people usually associate concentration camps with Nazi Germany. But do you know that concentration camps with mass graves for Black people also existed in America? During the Civil War, Of 1865, authorities in Natchez forced tens of thousands of newly freed black men, women, and children into concentration camps. So after all those hundreds of years of enslavement, if you happen to be freed in Mississippi, you might not have made it out. It's, it's, ugh. My heart hurts for those people. And you hear stories, Juneteenth is right around the corner, and you hear stories of when they found, when black people found out they were free, finally, they literally, some of them, not everybody, some of them had, you know, more resources, more plans, more family, but many people were just alone because a lot of black people were forcibly separated from everybody they loved and had known, especially their blood family. So when they found out they were free, they threw down those utensils right where they stood and got off that land because they knew they knew who they were dealing with. They knew that those landowners did not want them to be free, did not want them to have any kind of life of their own that was not serving the purpose of the white man in this country and around the world really. So continue reading. After being emancipated from plantation concentration camps, because that's what they were, they had been relocated to the Natchez area, causing the population to multiply. Okay. The locals did not like this. And a walled-off Concentration camp was constructed within the Devil's Punch Bowl to confine them. Estimates indicate that over 1000 enslaved people tragically died within a year in these camps, and a mass grave from the 1860s stands as a somber reminder. Historians say that disease outbreaks ravaged the imprisoned population. Perhaps this disease was artificially introduced into the walled-off area. Wouldn't be surprising. Population control, right? Please from the freed men, women, and children to be released from the concentration camps were denied. Some black men were re-enslaved and forced back into hard labor while women and children were left to suffer and die in the camps. Tens of thousands of black people died in the concentration camps. And the Union Army, because there was the Confederate and the Union Army, but I guess it all became the Union after the Civil War, right? The United States of America. The Union Army refused for the dead bodies to be removed for proper burial. Instead, they provided shovels to the prisoners and instructed them to bury the dead where they fell. To this day, old skeletal remains remain discovered at the site, serving as a haunting reminder of the atrocities there. And that's where the short article ends. And as for me... After I learn something new, it's always interesting for me to Google it to see what happens when you Google it. I've never Googled the Devil's Punch Bowl before, so I'm about to do it right now in real time while I'm recording this. And let's see what comes up. The Devil's Punch Bowl. So when you type it into Google, it does say Natchez, Mississippi. So, it's an actual place. So, Wikipedia is the first one that came up, and it describes it as a refugee camp. <laughs> I'm laughing, but it's definitely not funny. The Devil's Punch Bowl was a refugee camp created in Natchez, Mississippi, during the American Civil War to house freed slaves. Why would they have to be housed? if you freed them, why you free them? So it's interesting. Devil's Punch Bowl State, the natural area. Oh, a park there. Oh no, that's Oregon. So that's a different place. Okay. So specifically, so the name Devil's Punch Bowl is kind of popular. There's one in Stony Creek. There's one in Wisconsin. Oh, interesting. There's one in Los Angeles. So, the one in Mississippi, in Natchez, Mississippi, is the one I'm looking for. So, I found a page that describes it as an American concentration story. Wow. Devil's Punchbowl, an American concentration camp. So horrific, it was erased from history. That's an interesting um, headline for an article. Because a lot, again, we have countless movies about the horrific atrocities that occurred in Nazi Germany against European Jews. And that's not erased from history. Interesting. Interesting. Let's see these. Um, Read the article. Again, I'm reading it in real time with you right now. I just typed it in, just pulled it up. never saw this article before. Never even knew about this portion of history till today, this morning. Say the words, Concentration Camps. Let me give you the website so you can pull it up yourself. It is samepassage.org. The headline to this article is... um, Devil's Punch Bowl and American concentration camp so horrific it was erased from history. That's the actual headline. And yeah, I don't have the um, author. Maybe it's at the end of the article, but it reads as follows: Say the words "concentration camps" and most will surmise the topic surrounds World War II and the Nazis. But the hard labor, constant threat of death, and barbarism these microcosmic hells presented weren't unique to Adolf Hitler. In just one year, around 20,000 freed slaves perished in the Devil's Punch Bowl in Natchez, Mississippi, USA. After the Civil War, a massive exodus of former slaves from southern plantations trekked northward in hopes of reaching a location of true freedom but embittered soldiers resentful the people considered property were now free had other plans. Mm. One tiny town's population mushroomed twelvefold from the influx as researcher Paula Westbrook who has extensively studied Devil's Punchbowl noted. When the enslaved people were released from the plantations During the occupation, they overran Natchez, and the population went from 10,000 to 120,000 overnight. Overnight, ma'am. Historians. Western historians be the most. Unable to grapple with an instant population swell, the city turned to Union troops still lingering after the war, To devise a merciless, impenitent, impenitent solution. New word. New word. I promise you I never heard of the word impenitent. Obviously has something to do with imprisoning people. But I like learning new words. Oh. Impenitent. Let me. Impenitent. Impenitent. That's how you say it. Not feeling shame or regret about one's action or duties. Uh, fitting word. Uh, where are we at? Impenitent solution. So they decided to build an encampment for So they decided to build an encampment for him at Devil's Punch Bowl which they walled off and wouldn't let him out. Former director of the Natchez City Cemetery, Don Estes, explained. Devil's punch bowl is so named for a cavernous bowl-shaped gulch walled off by tree-topped cliffs. my gosh, an area unintentionally made perfect for a hellacious prison by nature herself. Oh wow. It's interesting how Westerners, white people, Europeans. Caucasians view nature as something to be um, hmm, something to be challenged and competed with and conquered, um, instead of flowing with nature, not against it. Anyway, the devil's bowl. The Devil's Punch Bowl is named for the cavernous bowl shaped gulch walled off by tree topped cliffs, an area unintentionally made perfect for a hellacious prison by nature herself. It depends on how you view nature. People who have a respect for nature would never have dealt with it that way by putting life in there and committing murder the way those Union troops did, but that's what they did. A tangle of lush green now tops bluff near the Mississippi River in Natchez, hiding past atrocities. Let me reread that. A tangle of lush green, now tops bluffs near the Mississippi River in Natchez, hiding past atrocities that took place when Union Army soldiers corralled and captured those freed slaves in worse conditions than they'd endured previously as slaves on plantations in the unrelenting heat and humidity of the deep south african-american men toiled at hard labor clearing thickets of brush so they made them clear the brush for their own um, mass grave while women and children not seen as a viable workforce for the task languished without food or water behind the locked concrete walls of the camp to die of starvation. Barbarous treatment didn't even end when someone died. The Union Army did not allow them to remove the bodies from the camp, Westbrook explained. They just gave him shovels and said bury them where they drop. Bleak conditions of being cramped inside locked walls and forced to work until exhaustion or death also led to the spread of disease and illness. A little disgust but insidious issue for former slaves, killing up to one million individuals following the ostensive emancipation. Disease broke out among them, smallpox being the main one, as these said of the concentration camp prisoners, and thousands and thousands died. They were begging to get out. Turn me loose and I'll go home. Back to the plantation. Anywhere but here. However, a dearth of information about these mostly postbellum camps indeed leaves significant leeway for conjecture, and a smattering of conclusions say those detained preferred the slightly greater freedom compared to brutality found on the plantations. Additional critics dispute Westbrook and Estes and the number who died in the Natchez camps, saying the number is likely closer to just one thousand. But without methodical record-keeping, the figure is impossible to verify with certainty. Either way, this black eye on American history is still one of the largest and most brutal acts of state-sanctioned death this country has ever seen. As the Civil War drew to a close and during the nascent, another new word, I don't know that word, N a s c e n t. Uh, how do you say it? Nascent. Nascent. Nascent is especially of a process or organization just coming into existence and beginning to display signs of future potential. Okay, so during the nascent, where was I? At in the story. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. I messed up. I lost <laughs> I lost the um the article I was just reading. But you get the idea. I'm not gonna Google it anymore. I actually have to go to work. so oh, Google it for yourself. One thing about my channel is I read stuff that I'm discovering but thankful for the age of information that we're in. If you're interested in learning further, you can just Google it and find out for yourself. The problem with Google is, there is um, a tendency to focus on the problematic um, hiding of history, whitewashing of history as it's known. So you have to be aware that that is in place When you do Google um, certain history, but it's there and concentration camps. That's not the only one that is a major one, Um, but concentration camps existed and that spot is still, (sighs) I wonder if that gravesite was ever, ever, if they ever got um, proper burials, if anybody ever made sure they got proper burials so that their souls could rest. Hmm. The name of this tune is Mississippi Goddamn. And I mean every word of it. I still have a few minutes left to get ready, but I couldn't resist Googling the history of Natchez, Mississippi, just to see what popped up. Uh, the first thing that popped up was Wikipedia, the free encyclopedia. Other um, websites that popped up are promoting tourism in Natchez, Mississippi. And although Wikipedia is not uh, considered uh, an official publication, it is actually what a lot of people go to for their history. So let's see what's included. History of Natchez, Mississippi. Natchez is spelled N-A-T-C-H-E-Z. The city of Natchez, Mississippi was founded in 1716 as Fort Rosalie and renamed for the Natchez people in 1763. Pre-European settlement to 1716. According to archaeological excavations, the area has been continuously inhabited by various cultures of indigenous peoples since the 8th century AD. The original site of Natchez was developed as a major village with ceremonial platform mounds built by people of the prehistoric Plaquemine culture, part of the influential Mississippian culture, and active in this area from about 700 AD. Archaeological evidence shows they began construction of the three main earthwork mounds by 1200. Additional work was done in the mid-15th century. By the late 17th and early 18th century, the Natchez, pronounced Nochi, descendants of the Plaquemine culture occupied the site. They used it as their major ceremonial center. After leaving the area of Emerald Mound, they added to the mounds, including a residence for their chief, the Great Sun, on Mound B, and combined temple and charnel house for the elite on Mound C. Many early European explorers, including Hernando de Soto, La Salle, and Bienville, made contact with the Natchez at this site called the Grand Village of the Natchez. Their accounts provided descriptions of the society and the village. So we're getting the European uh, perspective here. The most thorough account was written by French colonists Antoine-Simon Lepage de Prat who lived near the Natchez, who lived near the Natchez, for several years, learning their language and befriending leaders. Mm. He witnessed the 1725 funeral of the war chief, Tattooed Serpent, Serpent Piquet in French. The Natchez maintained a hierarchical society divided into nobles and commoners with people affiliated according to matrilineal descent. So the indigenous people of North America were a matriarchal society as opposed to a patriarchal society like Europeans are. Um, Let's see. The paramount chief, known as the Great Son, owed his position to the rank of his mother. His next eldest brother served as tattooed serpent. That's the French person saying that name, but anyway. The 120-acre site of the Grand Village of the Natchez is preserved as a National Historic Landmark. 128 acres. Mm. It is maintained by the Mississippi Department of Archives and History. The site includes a museum, With artifacts from the mounds and village, a picnic pavilion and walking trails are also available on the grounds nearby Emerald Mound, which is also a national historic landmark of the Natchez and their ancestors. So if I ever go to Mississippi, which I doubt I will ever do, um, I would visit the um, historic site of the indigenous people there. Colonial history is said to have been from 1716 to 1783. In 1716, the French founded Fort Rosalie to protect the trading post, which had been established two years earlier in the Natchez territory. So you know that French man that befriended the people he was about to destroy? Here we go. Um, So there was a trading post, and so they built a fort on somebody else's land to protect their trading post. But if you're trading fairly and you're befriending, these are your friends, why would you have to build a fort? Permanent French settlements and plantations were subsequently developed or after the fort. Hmm subsequently developed a dangerous distance from the fort and two near-important native locales. The French inhabitants of the Natchez colony often came into conflict with the Natchez people over land use and resources. Reader's note. There wouldn't be conflict over resources if he wasn't trying to take everything and not respect Nature and the land. So, of course, there was conflicts because you came in with your nasty attitudes and wanting to control power and control over everything and everybody. Just like you left, you got put out of Europe. You over here in America trying to take over people that you, they don't look like you, so they're less than you. Mm. This was one of several Natchez settlements others laid to the northeast the Natchez tended to become increasingly split into pro French and pro English factions. So here we go. How did they how did they get split into pro French and pro English factions? Because the Europeans at war with each other brought their war over here. And I'm gonna I'm gonna help you and ask your enemy teaching, you know, teaching divide and conquer. Divide and conquer that is definitely a european um tradition culture ritual call it whatever but divide and conquer is definitely a european tactic of war getting people that you want to conquer to help you conquer them by making them hate each other and fight each other Uh, those who are more distant had more relations with english traders who came to the area from British colonies to the east. After several smaller wars, the Natchez together with Chickasaw and Yazoo launched a war to eliminate the French in November, 1729. It became known by the Europeans as the Natchez War or Natchez Rebellion. The Indians, the Native Americans destroyed the French colony at Natchez and other settlements in the area on November 29, 1729, the Natchez Indians, Native Americans, killed a total of 229 French colonists, 138 men, 35 women, and 56 children, the largest death toll by an Indian attack in Mississippi's history. Attack. Maybe they were defending themselves, their women, their children, their men, their land. Um, They took most of the women and children as captives. The The French, with their Indian allies, attacked the Natchez repeatedly over the next two years, resulting in most of the Natchez Indians being killed, enslaved, or forced to flee as refugees. After surrender of the leader and several hundred Natchez in 1731, the French took their prisoners to New Orleans, where they were forcibly sold as slaves and shipped as laborers on the Caribbean plantations of St. Domingue as ordered by the French Prime Minister Moripaz. Many of the Natchez who escaped enslavement sought refuge with the Creek and Cherokee peoples, ultimately being absorbed into their people. Descendants of the Natchez Diaspora have reorganized and survived as the Natchez Nation, a treaty tribe and confederate of the federally recognized Muscogee Creek Nation with a sovereign traditional government. Following the Seven Years War, in 1763, Fort Rosalie and the surrounding town, renamed for the defeated tribe, came under British rule. The British Crown, bestowed land grants in this territory to officers who had served with distinction in the war. These officers came mostly from the colonies of New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. They established plantations and brought their upper-class style of living to the area. Before 1774, Lord Dartmouth, who was Secretary of State for the colonies and the previous first lord of trade, contemplated citing a civil government below Natchez at White Cliffs, which would be the residence of lieutenant governor reporting to Pensacola. Montfort Brown visited Natchez in 1769. While he was lieutenant governor of West Florida, he received a grant near Natchez. Bernard Roman's map proposals dated August 5, 1773 from Philadelphia to likely subscribers indicated a purpose was to map the Mississippi River from Natchez to the mouth. During the 1760s and 1770s, the merchants of Natchez handled the Indian trade for other merchants such as McGilvery and Struthers of Mobile and others. On February 16, 1779, British authorities in London received several petitions from West Florida proprietors merchants and settlers to grant local courts at Natchez, encourage commerce, and make land-grant reforms. The Spanish commander Juan de la Villebreuve on September 17, 1779, conquered Fort Butte and later the garrison at Baton Rouge and Natchez's Fort Panmure to establish Spanish colonial rule. But a Natchez loyalist militia forced him to surrender Fort Panmure in May 1781. A few days later, Pensacola was lost by the British and the Natchez revolt collapsed. After defeat in the American Revolutionary War, Great Britain ceded the territory to the United States under the terms of the Treaty of Paris. Spain was not a party to the treaty and it was their forces who had taken Natchez from British troops. Although Spain had been allied with the American colonists, they were more interested in advancing their power at the expense of Britain. Once the war was over, they were not inclined to give up that which they had acquired by force. They were not inclined to give up that which they had acquired by force. That's very European. It's interesting how the Europeans were over here fighting each other, fighting The Indian, just fight, fight, fight. In 1797, Major Andrew Ellicott of the United States of America marched to the the highest ridge in the young town of Natchez, set up camp, and raised the first American flag, claiming Natchez and all former Spanish lands east of the Mississippi above the 31st parallel for the United States. Hmm. A census of the Natchez district taken in 1784 counted 1,619 people, including 498 black enslaved people. It says black slaves, but black enslaved people. So out of 1,619, almost 500 were black people building up that land, that area. It was a small city. So let's get into Antebellum. What I'm trying to find is if Wikipedia speaks to, it's a very small place. So I want to know if Wikipedia captures the history of that concentration camp on this history of Natchez um, page. Antebellum, 1783 to 1860. We're still um, pre-end of slavery. So let's get into it. In the late 18th century natchez was starting was the starting point of the natchez trace overland route a native american trail that followed a path established by migrating animals most likely buffalo which ran from natchez to nashville through what are now wow mississippi alabama and tennessee so the native americans had the route between all of these states that we know now today. And when the European warlords came through, they followed the already made route and started establishing their homes after befriending and then destroying the people who were there first. And they made it their home and built their homes with enslaved black people building their homes for them. Mississippi, Alabama, and Tennessee. Produce and goods were transported on the Mississippi River by the flat boatmen and keel boatmen who usually sold their wares at Natchez or New Orleans, including their boats as lumber. They made the long trek back north to their homes overland on the Natchez Trace. The boatmen were locally called Cane Tucks because they were usually from Kentucky although the entire Ohio River Valley was well represented among their numbers. The, tra- the trace was traveled heavily until the development of steamboats in the 1820s allowed northward navigation against the current on the river. By royal order, the Roman Catholic Church purchased 300 Arpens Square near the fort from Richard Carpenter on April 11th, 1788. And I always had a question about who the church or anybody else purchased land from. Who do you pay this money to? What y'all call God? Like, who, who owns the land that you're paying this money to, that you're drawing up these papers for? The government that is establishing itself. So you pay it to each other. I'm just thinking out loud. On October 27, 1795, the United States and Spanish signed the Treaty of San Lorenzo, settling their decade-long boundary dispute. All Spanish claims to Natchez were formally surrendered to the United States. More than two years passed before official orders reached the Spanish garrison there. In early 1797, the Treasury Department sent $2,200 worth of supplies to Natchez through New Orleans merchant Robert Cochran. Spanish authorities exercised strict regulations for commerce and the development of the streets, lots, and bluff, but surrendered the fort and possession of the town of Natchez to United States forces led by Captain Isaac Goulon on March 30, 1798. A week later, Natchez became the first capital of the new Mississippi territory created by the Adams administration on March eighteenth eighteen o three I'm sorry March tenth eighteen o three The territorial assembly incorporated the town after it served for several years as the territorial capital. The territory built a new capital named Washington, six miles to the east, also in Adams County, after roughly fifteen years. The legislature transferred the capital back to Natchez at the end of 1817 when the territory was admitted as a state. Later the capital was returned to Washington. As the state's population center shifted to the north and east with more settlers entering the area, the legislature voted to move the capital to the more centrally located city of Jackson in 1822. In 1830, the population of Natchez was 2,789. Samuel Cotton, the Natchez arbor master, reported collection from 383 steamships, 10 keelboats, and 868 flatboats for the year 1829. Throughout the course of early 19th century, Natchez was the center of economic activity for the young state of Mississippi. Its strategic location on the high bluffs on the eastern bank of the Mississippi River enabled it to develop into a bustling port. At Natchez, many local plantation owners had their cotton loaded onto steamboats at the landing known as Natchez under the hill, to be transported downriver to New Orleans or sometimes upriver to St. Louis or Cincinnati. The cotton, was sold and shipped to New England, New York, and European spinning and textile mills. So all of this was going on during the period of enslaving uh, Black people and others, including Native Americans, where they're, they're building all on their land and excluding them from the profit. Um, but anyway... The Natchez District, along with Sea Islands of South Carolina and Georgia, pioneered cotton agriculture in the United States. They pioneered it. The Sea Islands, that's the Gullah Geechee area, ain't it? Hmm. The Natchez district pioneered cotton agriculture in the United States until new hybridized breeds of short staple cotton were created in the early 19th century. It was unprofitable to grow in the United States anywhere other than those two areas. So the cotton industry was there. South Carolina and Georgia. Gullah Geechee people. uh uh-huh. Although South Carolina had dominated the cotton plantation culture in the 18th century and early in the antebellum South, antebellum is a nice way to say after the slaves were quote unquote freed, it was the Natchez district which first experimented with hybridization, making the cotton boom possible. Historians attribute the major part of the expansion of cotton in the Deep South to Eli Whitney's development of the cotton gin. It lowered processing costs for a short staple cotton making this profitable for cultivation it was the kind of cotton that could be grown on uplands and throughout the black belt of the deep south development of cotton plantations expanded rapidly increasing demand for slaves in the south slaves were sold in the domestic slave trade chiefly from the upper south domestic slave trade the growth of the cotton industry attracted many new white, settler, white settlers to Mississippi who competed with the Choctaw for their land. Despite uh, land cessions, the settlers continued to encroach on Choctaw territory, territory leading to conflict. With the election of President Andrew Jackson in 1828, he pressed for Indian removal gaining congressional passage of an act, authorizing that in 1830, starting with the Choctaw, the government began removal of southeastern Indians. In 1831, to lands west of the Mississippi River in Indian Territory, nearly 15,000 Choctaw left. So were they removed or did they leave? Left their traditional homeland over the next two years. The terrained The terrain around Natchez on the Mississippi side of the river is hilly. The city sits on a high bluff above the Mississippi River. To reach the riverbank, one must travel down a steep road to the landing called Silver Street, which is in marked contrast to the flat delta lowland found across the river surrounding the city of Vidalia, Louisiana. It's early planter elite, planter elite, elite built numerous antebellum mansions and estates they built them they did many owned plantations in louisiana but chose to locate their homes on the higher ground in mississippi prior to the civil war natchez had more millionaires than any other city in the united states i bet they did they wasn't paying the people i was making their money for them It was frequently by notables such as Aaron Burr, Henry Clay, Andrew Jackson, Zachary Taylor, Ulysses S. Grant, Jefferson Davis, Winfield Scott, and John James Audubon. Today the city boasts that it has more antebellum homes than any other city in the United States as during the Civil War Natchez was spared the destruction of many other southern cities. So that's why when enslavement ended they were sent or they went, or however they got to Natchez, and it's, what? These months. Mother- <sighs> the forks of the road market had the highest volume of slave sales in Natchez, and Natchez had the most active slave trading market in Mississippi. This also stimulated the city's wealth. The market at the intersection of Liberty Street And what was then Washington Street became especially important after the slave traders Isaac Franklin of Tennessee and John Armfield of Virginia purchased the land in 1823. Tens of thousands of slaves passed through the market, transported from Virginia and the upper south, many by walking over land and destined for the plantations in the deep south. In this forced migration, more than one million enslaved black americans were taken from their families and moved southward all trading at the market ceased by the summer of 1863 when union troops occupied natchez prior to 1845 and the founding of the natchez institute the city's elite residents were the only ones who could afford a formal education for their children although many parents did not have much schooling themselves They were anxious to provide their children with a quality education. Schools opened in the city as early as 1801, but many of the wealthiest families continued to rely on private tutors or out-of-state institutions, some sending their children as far as England and Scotland. The city founded the Natchez Institute to offer free education to the rest of the white residents. Although children from a variety of economic backgrounds could obtain an education, Class differences persisted among students, particularly in terms of school choice and social ties. Although it was considered illegal, black enslaved children were often taught the alphabet in reading the Bible by their white playmates in private homes. Ugh. Natchez also has a very unique history as being a region with a substantial number of free persons of color during the era <laughs> I can't even get it out during the era of slavery. So they're pointing this history out because Natchez had a substantial number of free persons of color. So they're no longer black. You're not writing they black. They are of color during the era, era of slavery. Census records from 1850 and 1860 show that about 85% of the free people of color in the anti bellum era, era were mulattoes so that's why they call them of color the offspring of white male planter fathers and enslaved or emancipated black females see this is what i'm talking about language they said you can go on wikipedia and read the history of natchez for yourself mixed race free people of color in natchez they were mulattoes of white male planter fathers. Their fathers, the white men are fathers, but the women were just black females, not mothers. Mm. Mixed race, free people of color in Natchez acquired wealth in several ways. Very often their planter white male fathers gave them inheritances or their half family members set them up in business. Mm. Some of the leading free people of color within the Natchez community include such figures as William Johnson, Robert W. Fitzhugh, William McCary, and Louis Winston. Robert H. Wood was another prominent free, prominent free person of color. He became the mayor of Natchez, which was the exact same position his white planter father, Robert Wood, occupied years earlier. white planter father he's a slaver and he raped the people that had no control of whether or not he raped the women well probably the people because men got raped too he raped the women that he impregnated and he chose whether or not he was going to acknowledge his children or not it's disgusting it's disgusting and the use of language is annoying um, Research in, what does it say? It was initially believed in postmodern times that free people of color lacked a lot of citizen rights regardless of their status. Research in recent decades through courthouse and governmental records has substantially demonstrated that to be untrue for the wealthy property owning free people of color owning wealth and being included as equals by the richest of the white families in the antebellum era gave the few people of color who had this circumstance a rare amount of prestige and power william johnson a well-known free person of color strives to be recognized as a planter by natchez society archie P. p williams a free person of color who was also of natchez mississippi was recognized in society as a planter due to being the son of David Percy Williams of Natchez and inheriting a large portion of his wealth. Archie P. Williams, white side of his family lineage, had been established as one of the wealthiest in the region for several generations prior, beginning in the 1760s with his great-grandfather David Williams. Archie P. Williams was one of the few millionaires, especially mixed-race or black millionaires, in the 1800s due to his inherited share of the multi-million dollar estate, of Winthrop Sargent, who was a stepfather to his grandfather. Other free persons of color in Natchez acquired skills as artisans, mechanics, shoemakers. The free people of color acquired skills. You know that the people who built the whole city were skilled. They just didn't get paid and recognized for their work. Black people are very skilled. They built all of that, so of course they knew how to do it. Some of the descendants of free persons of color from the antebellum era include, um, continue to prosper in the Natchez, Mississippi region. The descendants of Robert Wood own the Macko Funeral Home. Anton Anton R. Williams of Kalamazoo and Grand Rapids, Michigan inherited wealth as a descendant of RGP Williams and continues to operate various oil and gas, real estate and timber and land business ownership interests in Natchez, Mississippi and the surrounding region from his headquarters of Grand Rapids, Michigan, and Kalamazoo, Michigan. All right, we're getting to the American Civil War. Oh, I'm just, um, I'm getting all into this. I'm not even going to read that part. I just want to know if they... Let me see how much more is to this Wikipedia article. Not much more. Um... I want to see if they talk about the concentration camp. I don't believe they will. Because they're talking about... They won't talk about black people, but they will talk about... The the colored people and their white planter fathers. Mm. So, the next section is the Civil War. American Civil War, 1861 to 1865... During the Civil War, Natchez remained largely undamaged. The city surrendered to Flag Officer David G. Farragut after the fall of New Orleans in May 1862. So, Natchez still has mm, slave-era homes standing because they were it was undamaged by the war. Two civilians. An elderly man and an eight-year-old girl named Rosalie Beekman were killed when a Union ironclad shelled the town from the river. The man died of a heart attack and Rosalie was killed by shell fragment. Two whole people were killed. Two white people, because many more were killed, but two white people were killed by Union troops under Ulysses S. Grant, who occupied Natchez in 1863, Grant set up his temporary headquarters in the Natchez Mansion, Rosalie. Some Natchez residents remained defiant of the federal authorities. In 1864, William Henry Elder, the Catholic Bishop of the Diocese of Natchez, refused to obey a federal order to compel his parishioners to pray for the President of the United States. U.S. officials arrested Elder jailed him briefly, and banished him across the river to Confederate-held Vidalia. Elder was eventually allowed to return to Natchez and resume his clerical duties there. He served until 1880 when he was elevated to Archbis- Arch- Archbishop of Cincinnati. Interesting note, we see his picture here. We see pictures of plantation homes. We see pictures of other... um. Other people and the beautiful, beautiful homes. Um, And this is actually, even though it's Wikipedia, it has the stamp of the official history of Mississippi. So this is their official telling of their story. But his is the face that we see on here. We don't see any of the faces of the colored people they just talked about a little bit. Um, Owning stuff, because they were free, too. Because their planter father was nice to them. About four or five of them. Um, So, yeah, we talk about the archbishop, and he was freed. Ellen Shields' memoir reveals a Southern woman's reaction to Yankee military occupation of the city. And it's interesting for me because as a person who was born and raised in New York City, and I currently live in the South, I still get called a Yankee every now and then. Y'all do know the Civil War been over for a little while, right? Um, Shields' memoir portrays the upheaval of Southern society during the war. The upheaval of Southern society. Because Southern men were absent at war many elite women had to exercise their class-based femininity and sexual appeal to deal with the Yankees. <laughs> That's not funny. Oh, my God. Well, the husbands weren't home. So the women, the innocent, innocent women, had sex with the, with the Union troops. Mm. In 1860, there were planters in the Natchez region that were not all of these. Wait. In 1860, there were planters in the Natchez region that were not enthusiastic confederates. The exceptions tended to be fairly recent arrivals to the south, men who opposed secession and some who held social and economic ties to the north. These planters lacked a strong emotional attachment to the south, but when war came Many of their sons and nephews joined the Confederate Army anyway. Charles Dahl Green was among the recent migrants from Philadelphia. He had made his fortune before the war. He did support the Confederacy and led a brigade, but was criticized for failing to defend the Gulf Coast. When the Yankees came, he moved to Georgia for the duration of the war. He was out. (laughs) He returned in 1865, but never recouped his fortune. He had to declare bankruptcy and in 1870, he gave up and moved to New York City. So this Mississippi's history is definitely in favor of the Confederates. They don't like the Yankees to this day. (laughs) Following the Union victory at the Battle of Vicksburg in July, 1863, many refugees, including former slaves freed by the Emancipation Proclamation began moving into Natchez and the surrounding countryside. Also, they chose to move there. July, 1863. Uh, The Union army officers claimed to be short on resources and unable to provide for the refugees. The army planned to address the situation with a mixture of paid paid labor for freed slaves, on government-leased plantations, the enlistment of able-bodied males who were willing to fight in the Union Army, and the establishment of refugee camps Okay, maybe I'm going to talk about what they did. where former slaves could be provided with education. However, okay, so former slaves who were freed by the emancipation, Emancipation Proclamation didn't just come to Natchez out of nowhere. They came there as part of the Civil War situation and they were promised jobs, they came there for work. Mm. So plantations that used to be owned by Southern planters now have black people working on them and actually earning a living of their own. Mm. Refugee camps where former slaves could be provided with education However, as the war continued, the plan was never effectively implemented and the leased plantations were poorly managed and frequently raided by Confederate troops who controlled the surrounding territory. Hundreds of people living in Natchez during this period, including many former slaves and refugees, died of hunger, disease, or were killed in the fighting during this period. While Natchez residents became much more pro-Confederate after the war, the lost cause myth arose as a means for coming to term with the South's defeat. It quickly became a definitive ideology strengthened by celebratory activities, speeches, clubs, and statues. The major organizations dedicated to creating and maintaining the tradition were the United Daughters of the Confederacy and United Confederate Veterans. In Natchez and other cities, although local newspapers and war veterans played a role in the maintenance of the Lost Cause, elite white women were particularly, particularly important. Especially in establishing cemeteries and memorials such as the Civil War Monument dedicated on Memorial Day eighteen ninety. The Lost Cause enabled white non combatants to lay a claim to the watershed event in the reshape reshaping of Southern history. The non-combatant. Okay, post-war period. So they alluded to the fact that um, formerly enslaved people were now living in their area. So post-war period, 1865 to 1900. That's the same year that... People in Texas, enslaved people in Texas, found out on June 19th that they were free, two years after the Emancipation Proclamation. Post war period, 1865 1900, Natchez made a rapid economic comeback in the post war years. With the resumption of much of the commercial shipping traffic on the Mississippi River, the cash crop was still cotton, but gang Gang? G-A-N-G. Gang agricultural slave labor came to be largely... Oh, like chain gangs. Agricultural slave labor came to be largely replaced by sharecropping in which freed men felt they had some independence. In many families, women left field labor to care for their own people. During hard times, they might work for their family and later had to take up domestic service. In addition to cotton, the development of local industries such as logging added to the exports through the city's wharf. In return, Natchez saw an influx of manufactured goods from Northern markets, such as Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, and St. Louis. The city's prominent place in Mississippi River Commerce during the 19th century was reflected by the naming of nine steamboats, Natchez, which traveled the lower river between 1823 and 1918. Many were built for and commanded by the famous Captain Thomas P. Leathers, whom Jefferson Davis had wanted to head the Confederate Defense Fleet on the Mississippi River. In 1885, the Anchor Line, known for its luxury steamboats operating between St. Louis and New Orleans, launched its brag boat, the City of Natchez. The ship operated for a year before being lost to a fire at Cairo, Illinois, on December 28, 1886. Since 1975, an excursion steamboat at New Orleans has become has borne the name Natchez. Such river commerce sustained the city's economic growth until just after the turn of the 20th century when steamboat traffic began to be replaced by the railroads. The city's economy declined over the course of the 20th century as did that of many Mississippi River towns bypassed by railroad traffic. Tourism has helped to compensate for the decline. After the war and during reconstruction, The world of domestic servants in Natchez changed somewhat in response to emancipation and freedom. Domestic servants? Oh, you mean people who were enslaved? Domestic servants. In response to emancipation and freedom, after the Civil War, most domestic servants continued to be black women. Often, the women were supporting children, although they were poorly paid. Why were the domestic servants black women? Because you took their men and kept enslaving them and imprisoning them? Often, the women were supporting children, although they were poorly paid. Their domestic work produced important income for family maintenance. White employers often continued the paternalism that had characterized relations between slaveholders and slaves. They often preferred black workers to white servants. What? Mm. White men and women who worked as domestics generally held positions such as gardener or governess, while black servants worked as cooks, maids, and laundresses. In 1871, Natchez opened its first co-educational public school for African-American students, and it was called the Union School. So I'm going to go ahead and stop reading there because the next, um, the next paragraphs are about since 1900 and the Civil Rights era. So as I thought, um, they didn't speak about the concentration camps where they just dumped... Black bodies that weren't useful to them, and there now exists that mass grave. So, anywho, I gotta go to work. You can look this all up for yourself if you choose to. Have a good day. The name of this tune is Mississippi Goddamn. <laughs> And I mean every word of it.